0: I'll be reading this morning from Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that, they, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks. Alex, thanks a lot for that. Let's jump in, you guys. As you can see, this is quite a passage. So, uh, nothing keeps... People away from Jesus Christ more than their ability, or their, excuse me, their inability to see uh, their need for Him. Their inability, or I would say also their unwillingness to admit it. And and also, think about this um, our morality can keep us as far away from Jesus Christ as our immorality. Jesus said himself, It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick that need a doctor. And so, what you're seeing here in, in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, is a, a real um, description of the sickness of the human race and God's response to it, a response of wrath. Now, I'm going I'm to read a quick section of scripture from a, a preacher from years and years ago about um, the wrath of God. Listen to this. The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. How's that for encouragement? That's from a sermon called um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. He's a preacher in the uh, in 1700s in uh, New England. And his point was that God is, uh, God is a God of wrath in the sense that, and this is really critical to understand as we think about the, uh, the wrath of God. Now moving into verses 18 through 20. Let me define closely the wrath of God. Wrath is not a characteristic of God, of God. It's the response of a God who is both holy and loving against evil. In other words, God is much, much more angry at evil in our world than you and I are. Because God is holy and he loves his creation. And because God is loving and therefore loves the creature. Evil... That he sees he responds his 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 uh, response is wrath now it's not a losing of the temper it's not a flying into the ra- into a rage it's not uncontrollable no it's it's the it's the perfect response of a holy God against the evil that he sees, and God means to fully and finally destroy evil as he expresses his wrath again. Now, the Apostle Paul here is making very clear to us that God is going to, because he's holy, respond in wrath, by moving, against, uh, wrath uh, by moving against evil with his wrath to destroy it. He makes it very, very clear. Now, I want to say this to both Christians and non-Christians. The story of the Bible is a God who is holy dealing with a people who are unholy, who him, takes it upon himself to reconcile a people to himself. And so a God who is holy, responding to evil, is a God who's going to pour out his wrath. And if there's not a way to deal with our evil, then we will experience the wrath of God. And I want to say this uh, to sober all of us, and not backpedal. Now, let me make it clear. I'm not happy about the wrath of God. This is what God will do to evil. And I want to say this, too. You want a God of wrath. And let me tell you why. Because evil is destroying us. And the way God is going to stop evil, finally and fully and stop, stop it, is He's going to destroy it, and it's going to be an outpouring of His wrath. So, one person defined the wrath of God like this and said it's God's holy abhorrence towards evil. And think of it like this. A lack of anger or wrath towards that which is wrong is actually a lack of love for people who are experiencing the wrong. Let me give you an example. Let's say you see racism against somebody and I refuse to stand up against it. If I refuse to stand up against it, what I'm simply saying is, is I'm, I actually lack a love for the person who's experiencing the discrimination. I lack a love for them. And so consequently, if I don't respond with, if you will, wrath against the evil of racism... What I'm, really say, what I'm really saying is I lack love for the person who's experiencing that racism. Martin Luther King put it like this. Listen to what he said. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And do you know why he said that? Because friends who are silent are not friends at all. Because if there's evil... And I don't have a revulsion or uh, if I don't respond in anger and wrath towards that evil, I'm really showing a lack of love. And because God is a, a God of love, he's a God of holiness, he hates evil more than we do. And therefore, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And look at what Paul says here, against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, the word godless means exactly what it says. It simply means that a person or a culture or however you want to say it, people have turned away from the living God and they're choosing to make their lives work apart from God. Now, godlessness means that I'm saying that God doesn't exist, but here's the problem. Because God does exist, I actually have to suppress the truth that he exists in order to act like he doesn't. Now, when I turn away from the living God, I'm, I am living a godless life. And as I move away from God, more and more I move away from the light, and so I embrace the darkness. In other words, it gets darker. It's darker. The, universe, uh, the solar system is much darker at Pluto than it is at, uh, at planet Earth. And so as I move away in a godless lifestyle from the living God, I'm more and more embracing w- wickedness. And what Paul says here is the wrath of God is going to be revealed against godlessness and wickedness, of people who suppress the truth. And the reason we, again, have to suppress the truth is that God does exist, and to act as though he doesn't is a suppression of the fact that he does. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes on to say in 19, "...since what may be made known about God is plain to them, because God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, understood from what has been made. In other words, because God is the creator God, there is a general revelation of who God is. His glory and his power and his majesty and his perfection. You can see it in his creation. Anytime you have a creator, you can see by what he or she has created... You can see a lot about who the creator is. Let me give you an example. Oscar, throw up this painting. See if you know this painting, you guys. You got it? Who knows this painting? It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Who painted it? Rembrandt painted it, okay? Now, this is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. If you know that parable, let me unpack this painting for you. This painting is absolutely brilliant. Look at it. Look at the lighting. Look at the people. So you have the prodigal son. He's the one that walked away in godlessness into a lifestyle of wickedness. Now he's returning home. Notice he's kneeling down in obedience because he walked away in disobedience. Notice he had to come a long way. Do you see his left foot? There's no shoe. Look at his right. Oh, look, Oscar. We've gotten better. Way to go, dude. Did you see that? Yeah, this, they didn't have this first service. Isn't that cool? He had to walk a long way. You know why? Wickedness will take you a long way from God. And watch what else. Watch this. Um, Oscar, can you? Yeah, perfect. Look at the hands. Of the father, do you see his left hand? Do you see the left hand? It's bigger than the right hand. The left hand is on the shoulder, the right hand is on the, the, the back of the heart. So, the left hand is a masculine hand, the father heart of God on the shoulder. Father welcoming son back. Look at the look at his right hand. It's the motherly, tender qualities of God over. You see that? Isn't that cool? Look at how he's looking at it in love. And notice, too, how he's bent down like the sun is bent down. Do you see that? Okay, let's back up a little further. Now, who else do you see? The self-righteous older brother. Do you see him to your right, to their left? Do you see? What's that older brother doing? He's looking down. On them both. Look at his hands; they're crossed. Do you know why they're crossed? Because he's already rendered judgment on the prodigal son. You'll never see that painting in the same way, will you? It's because Rembrandt's absolutely brilliant. He is an incredible creator. May I show you another creator, Oscar? This is called the Hubble Deep Field. What you are looking at are literally thousands upon thousands of galaxies. Each of these galaxies is probably the size of the Milky Way or larger. Billions and billions of suns you're looking at. This Hubble Deep Field is far away. In fact, it's so far away as if you get a grain of salt... This afternoon at your house, get a grain of salt, put it on your index finger, and stick it out as far as you can, and then look at that grain of salt. That grain of salt would cover the amount of sky that you're looking at right here. Now, what does that tell you about the creator of this? He's magnificent, He's holy, He's powerful to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. That's what this creation says about the creator. And to look at this and to deny that there is a creator is simply suppressing the truth. To say that this is a random development... What, oh, you guys, I just got a subscription to Astronomy Magazine. I love Astronomy Magazine. Any you, know you guys take Astronomy magazine do you Tom I just got you know what I got I got I, I got a special price and here's what it said is our universe the only universe the latest uh, evolutionary theory is they're multi universes and the reason they're multi universes is because it takes an in, infinite number of chances in order for you to sit here uh, as, a, as a creature and say you were created randomly that one universe is not enough. So now they've had to create multiple universes to say that you were created by chance, blind, blind chance. I would say that's a suppression of the truth. No offense to anybody in here who believes that truly, but I, I, I believe you're suppressing the truth. And it's, 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 getting, uh, it's getting more. It's getting, you're suppressing it. You're really pushing it down with multiple universes, according to what Paul's saying here, okay? Now, the reason I suppress the truth, men and women, is I want to continue to live a godless life. Listen, the only reason we suppress the truth is I want to live a godless life that makes me me God. Do you see that? That's all Paul's saying here, okay? And a godless life provokes God's wrath because that's not the way God created us to be. He created us as creatures to know him enjoy him to love him to worship him and to find our ultimate freedom as his creatures designed by him to be intimate to be in intimate relationship with him and each other and any turning from him in a godless lifestyle arouses his wrath it does now We move on to 21 through 25. Look what happened. Oh, uh, excuse me, one other thing. Look at the very end, 20. People are are without excuse. Okay, this is one of those Bacardi 151 moments, okay? Because of general revelation, because of general revelation, the fact that God reveals himself as the creator who is holy, who is glorious, who is all-powerful, all people are without excuse. In other words, if we fall short of his glory, of his power, of his holiness, if we fall short of God as he is revealed in the creation, we are without excuse before a God of perfection, of perfect holiness. We're without excuse. That means, men and women, apart from the grace of God, every human being is without excuse. Every human being is without excuse. We'll unpack this. In a minute. Now, listen carefully to what I'm going to say because this may raise some questions in you. Now, y'all, I realize we are in the weeds here, so listen carefully. No human being will be judged on anything that God has not revealed to them. That's really key to understand. No human being will be judged on anything that God has not revealed to them. But, general revelation is a revelation of God the creator to all human beings. That's why all human beings are without excuse. Because he is revealing himself in general revelation. And we fall short. And so, remember, you're not going to be judged on what you don't know. You're going to be judged on what you do know that you chose to reject. Okay? That's really key to understand. So let's move on. 21 through 25. Although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him, okay? So they suppress the truth about God. So, in other words, he existed, and and we know he exists from creation, but we suppress that truth, and so we don't glorify him. I'm not thankful um, for what he provides, and therefore, our thinking becomes futile. In other words, okay, so for those of you in the room... Maybe uh, if you're an atheist, here's what this means. The Bible says that your thinking is ultimately going to be futile. And let me say why. And I don't mean, I, I, I don't mean to insult you at all. I'm just, I just want you to know what the Bible says so you can make an informed decision about what the Bible, the Bible invites you to make an uh, informed decision about. That's truly what I'm after here. But the Bible says that your, your, your thinking will be futile if you turn away and live a godless life because you're never going to find, facing away from God, what you're ultimately looking for because you were created by God and therefore God is who you're ultimately looking for. See, you were created by him, therefore you were made for him and you're never going to find what you're looking for apart from him, truly. Your thinking thinking's going to be futile. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys have read uh, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins? Good. Oh, Dave, you've read it? I found it actually strengthened my faith in a lot of ways, and I would encourage you to read it because it's so important. We need to be respectful of people, and especially people of different opinion because we, you can't base your opinion on what they think based on what somebody else who thinks what you think told you what they think. Did you catch that? <laughs> Did you? I knew you would because I do it all the time. No, you need to hear it from the horse's mouth. So uh, Richard Dawkins talks about meaning. Okay, And he says, you've got to find meaning. Now, the irony of that is, that's like in chapter 11 or 12. He says, you've got to find meaning. But meanwhile, in chapters 1 through 9, he goes through the fa- uh, the, 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 uh, his belief system where there is no ultimate meaning. There's no ultimate meaning. Therefore, you've got to find it. But here's where that is futile thinking. Why would you look for meaning if there's not meaning and you weren't made for it? Why would you look for it? Why would you care? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die, Paul said somewhere else. You know? Do you see the fallacy there? And so if, you, if there's no meaning, and yet he tells you to look for meaning, that means you've got to make up meaning. And let me just tell you, you're never going to find the meaning that you need trying to write it yourself. You're never going to be able to write that essay. Ever. because you were not meant to define truth. You were meant to discover it. And that's all Paul's saying here. Notice he says, their foolish hearts were darkened. That means this will go to the core of your being. It'll shake you to the core of your being. And then he goes on and he says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like animals. Now, you know what's interesting here is he's saying is, he's saying this when we turn away from God we exchange the glory of the, uh, of the immortal God we turn away to godlessness do you know what we do we start trying to find gods you know why because you were made for God so you're going to make something God you might make where your child gets into high school in this town you're God <laughs> don't you love these applications I think I think about it through the week just to wear y'all out and me too Oh, I, I, listen, oh, when I start confessing your idols, it's only because they're mine. So, you know, you're in good company if I've just named your idols. Uh, here's another one. How, how many of you guys are invested in Vanguard? It is, it's the greatest mutual fund investment because you can do it yourself. And I've put some money in Vanguard. And you know the Dow's o- up over 26,000. And I love to turn it on. Because when it comes up, it's always up. And I turn into Bilbo at Rivendale when he saw the ring in Frodo's hand. Remember that? Ah, remember that? It scared the T out of you? It scared the T out of me. You remember that? It did. I'm sorry if you don't know it. Go back. But it just you just want to bounce. You just want to grab it. Because somehow... Money is going to give me meaning and life and looks and happiness and joy. Hadn't it worked for you? You know, that's why there's never enough of it. Because there's never enough of an idol because uh, enough of an idol is never enough. Idols just do not work. But yet, you're going to reach for them. If you're turned away from God, you're going to reach for anything you can to grab hold of. You really are. That's what will happen to us. And that's all Paul's saying here. Do you see That's futility. Now, look at this. This is where it gets a little more dicey, okay? So we'll go into it, okay? Um, Maybe we'll run out of time, though. So look at verse 24. Therefore, (laughs) God gave them over. No, I laugh. I really want want to share pastorally from these tougher issues that we'll get into, okay? So look. Uh, Therefore, God gave them over. Now, the phrase gave them over means this. It means, basically, that we're moving in a direction and the Lord took his hands off of us. Okay? Now, that's partly a judicial move. In other words, in his wrath, he simply lets us go our own way and things become more and more unraveled. It gets more and more difficult, more and more wicked, the further away you move from the light. Okay? So, it's a judicial move to give them over. He gives them over in the sense that he lets them go their own way. And when they're moving away from God, that's not a good thing, okay? I would also suggest it's a merciful move in that he lets me go my own way and then I experience that way apart from him, much like we saw with the prodigal son. He ended up in the pigsty. And then... He came to his senses. That happened for me. I came to my senses at twenty-two after I graduated college. College was the pigsty. Afterwards, you know, I, I had to have something. And at a very point, painful point in my life, I said, you know, Jesus, I can live without her. Her, you know, the God the woman was my God. I can live without her, but I can't live without you. And boy, idols. Die hard. And they punish you as they're taking their last breaths. Oh man. But I tell you, the reason they die hard is we cling so darn tight. We really do. But it's a mercy killing. When God kills your idols, it may feel like he's killing you, but no, he's bringing your life your idols will ultimately destroy you. Now, notice what it says here. He gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies, okay? Now, he moves into sex, and, ah, man, you guys, I prayed like this crazy. Why, God? It feels like he took a right turn, but here's why he did this. I I, I believe Paul did. Sex is such a powerful example of idolatry. Men and women, sex, sex, sex. I I guarantee you, everybody in the room is awake. If you were sleeping, you have woken up because you can't wait to see what the pastor's going to say about sex. How about this? It's great. Oh, I didn't tell you anything you didn't already know. But the problem is it can get so distorted. It really can. And so one of the distortions is pornography. And we want to be a church that can talk about the distortions to these great things. Because the best idols generally are blessings that God has given us that we've just twisted into something vicious. And so what happens is, and if you're struggling with pornography, I just, you know, it's just an, it's an idol. And it, it'll destroy you. But see, the reason it's so attractive is you were designed for intimacy. It's just offering you a distortion of the intimacy you were designed for. That's all it is. And so Paul says here to sexual impurity, notice, for the degrading of their bodies, and that's what pornography is. Because when I give myself to pornography, I'm actually degrading my body because I'm giving it to someone, albeit a picture, for example, or even a prostitute. I'm giving it to, to something to use and I'm using her men you're using the picture she's somebody's daughter she's somebody's she may be somebody's wife she could be somebody's mom and when I turn her into an object I've degraded her position do you see and because sex is so powerful in our society, I believe that's why Paul says that when we move away from God, we take the most precious things like a honeymoon and we turn them into brothels. Does that make sense? You see, see what he's saying here? I mean, we're getting after it, so let's keep going, Okay. Notice, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. See, he's just saying the same thing over again. And worshipped and served, look, the created things, a woman's body, a man's body, versus the creator. Do you see? Okay? Now, watch what happens here. Godlessness will ultimately put you in a downward spiral. So, because of this, verse 26, God gave them over. Then that's that he lets go and lets us move away. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Okay, so let me, let me say this clearly. First, I'm not going to be able to say as much as needs to be said about this subject of homosexuality, Okay. So let me say, I could leave you frustrated. If you're frustrated and you're mad, my email is patrick at westoncommunitychurch.org, okay? No, it's carter at westoncommunitychurch. And I am delighted to meet with you. I would love to meet with you. If you are someone who's coming here for the first time, I'm so glad you're here. Don't not come back because of this. Let's, let's meet and talk. Because I want you to understand, I really want you to understand the biblical position. Because we, I want people who have same sex attraction to come here. But acting on it is sinful. Just like if I'm attracted to another woman, I've been married for years, if I'm attracted to another woman and I act on it, that's sinful. So we're just talking about a form of sexual immorality. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about here. Okay, so look closely with me. Notice, exchanged natural sexual relations. Natural means according to God's order, the way God made it. In other words, God made a man to be sexual in sexual union with a woman. A man cannot be in sexual union with another man. Now, they can, a man can't have sex with a man. And a woman can't have sex with a woman. Because God didn't design it like that. And you can, you can say whatever you want, but if you say something different than that, you're suppressing the truth. Just bottom line. You really are. And what I can tell you is if you choose that lifestyle, you're, you're settling for something less than God intends. You really are. And that's what sin is, missing the mark. And of course, if, if I embrace an adulterous relationship with another woman, I'm embracing something less than God intends. And and therefore, I'm in sin. So you see, it's a sexual immorality. Now, let me say this. I was with a friend who's homosexual about a month ago. And we were talking. I just love him to death. And, And he said to me, he said, God made me this way. And I paused and took a breath and felt like the Spirit of God said through me, no, God did not make you that way. He made you a man to be with a woman. Now, I want to tell you, I don't want to disparage at all people in this room who have struggles with same-sex attraction. Man, I got struggles too. It's not that, but it's no less sinful, my struggles. And God can help us because God didn't make you that. God designed us to live for his glory. And when we don't, we are godless and we embrace wickedness. And that's what's key to see here. Now notice here, listen to this. Uh, Okay, look at this, 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind. That just means they're not thinking rightly. Now listen to this. I want to read all these to you. Just sit back in your chair and enjoy it. You ready? Here we go. Every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, decease, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Oh, I love that one right in there. Don't you, parents? Isn't that great? <laughs> Just kidding. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Uh, although they know God's righteous decree... They only continue to do these things. They suppress the truth. Now, there are 21 things here described. Now, do you know what uh, Paul's doing here? He's calling all of us out. You know, when I first saw this, you know what my first response was, you guys? Well, I'm not that bad. That's the first thing I thought. How about y'all? When Alex was reading this, were you thinking, I'm not that bad? If you thought that, if you're willing to confess it, you come up and we'll talk about it together. Let me tell you what's wrong with you because it's wrong with me too. If you thought you weren't that bad like I did, you know what the problem is? We're worse than we think. That's the problem. We're always worse than we think. And God's always better than you could dream. That's what you need to know. Now, let me show you how this works. This is so beautiful. Okay. We're without excuse. And my sin arouses the wrath of God. But watch this. Put it up there, Oscar. Look at this passage. This is how 1 through 17 links with 18 through 32. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? For it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that's demanded of me. The righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith. And a righteous person can actually find that righteous by faith. Not by my works. Because if it's on my works, I'm 18 through 32 and I'm without excuse. But if it's by faith, then that righteousness is credited to me why do I need that righteousness? And by the way, you know what that righteousness is? Jesus. The person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son took on flesh and became fully human without ceasing to be God. He was the God-man. And so he lived the life of perfect righteousness. When he died on the cross, he took the sin of anybody in this room who would believe in him on himself. And he endured 18. The wrath of God was revealed on Jesus. Now while that wrath was revealed on him, if you have your faith in him, the sin he took from you is the righteousness he gave to you. He gives you his righteousness. And so, you live by faith in Christ's righteousness, not your own. You're completely forgiven. You're declared righteous. And the reason you need it, and I need Jesus, is the wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness. Let's pray.